Welcome to House of Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message from this past Sunday. For more information about other messages or events at House of Hope, visit www.ihope.today. I could do a tag team. I'm like, that's awesome too. And then he texted me. He's like, actually, Melody wants to take over and rule the world. And I was like... <laughs> That's amazing as well. And so we're so excited to have her. So give her amazing House of Hope welcome. That's good. Oh, you oh, don't need that. You I've, got one. I've got All right, this. I'm going to get out of the way. I've got this. Where do you stand? On this side? <laughs> anyway, no, the reason I did this, when I was uh, this week, I'm, I, I'm, I'm taking a, a course. And uh, as I was working on my assignment, there was a prophecy that came with it. And part of the prophecy was the water level is rising and that if you find yourself in the floods, some don't always need to fight it, sometimes because it's raising you up. And what God is asking for in this time right now is your obedience. Don't overthink this. When opportunities come you haven't had before, they suddenly show up, obey. Just step into it and trust him to do this. Okay. And I went into the house and Richard says, so, do you want to preach on Sunday? <laughs> what? <laughs> um, and then I went to, I said, well, okay, I've got to think about this. And immediately, I think what happens when, when the Lord presents us with something is that there's an attack on our identity in Christ. And immediately I heard that voice, who do you think you are? And it was, you're just a woman. You're not ordained. You're, you're a writer, but let me remind you that uh, a microphone doesn't have a delete function. And I rather depend on that as a writer. I think I delete more than, than I write. Um, but it was just like, oh, I see you. Okay, seriously? You're going to attack me on my identity. Okay, Lord, let's talk about identity. <laughs> and then I remembered, I remembered a, a dream he gave me uh, a while back that meant a lot. Now, a lot of you are familiar that with dreams. That, that the Lord has spoken to people through dreams all through history. Uh, the Bible records something like more than 400 times when he has spoken to people through dreams. And uh, dreams are like, God's first language is not English. Although I was talking to a friend of mine, and she says, I'll have you know the Lord talks like a southern gentleman. She's from Mississippi. <laughs> and I said, no, he's got a Canadian accent. <laughs> um, <laughs> but he speaks, English is not his first language, and, and uh, he speaks in metaphor. Jesus spoke in metaphors all the time. He said, it's like. So the parables were, it's like. The kingdom of God is like. It's like a woman who's lost cone. It's like sheep. It's like this. It's like that. And dreams are metaphors. When Jesus says to us in our dreams, it's like this. And sometimes it takes a while to consider what, what do you mean. The other thing is that he speaks to us in many different ways. Sometimes he speaks to me through songs and music and sermons and, and friends and um, all sorts of ways. But that he sent us his love letter. You know, he sent us the scriptures, and the scriptures will line up with what Jesus is saying because he wrote it. If it doesn't line up, if, our, if a dream doesn't line up with scripture, we toss it. 
Not all dreams are from God. You know, some of them are from the soul, which is not a bad thing. Sometimes your soul is telling you, you know, you need to, you know, you need to watch out, you, you watch your weight or something. <laughs> um, and not all dreams are true. I know this because I stand before you with my notes and clothed. And my dream last night said that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> so we know, okay, some dreams are, are not true. And some dreams don't make sense for a while because God gives them to us ahead of time and we don't have all the stuff that's going to make sense of them. So sometimes, you know, you're tempted to push an interpretation. It's just not time yet. Set it on the back shelf. And some of them are not from God. Some of them are ones that say, you stupid person. What makes you think you're, you're bad? You're, or the ones that embarrass you, the ones that put you down and you wake up just feeling, well, those are not from God. You just, no, no, this is who God says that I am. So I'm inviting you. Dreams require discernment. I'm going to start with a dream. I'm going to do this in, in four s- sections, okay? I'm going to start with this dream I had. Then I'm going to talk about the book of Esther, talk about the book of Ephesians, and see if I can pull it together. Um, and I'm inviting you to use the discernment that Holy Spirit gives you to see if, if this lines up, if it lines up for, for your experience where you are with the Lord right now, especially if it lines up with Scripture, and it must line up with God's character, who he is, that it won't be out of character for him. Um, so let me tell you first about this dream I had. I was in a banqueting hall, and a famous evangelist, one who's known for signs and wonders showing up at his events, was treating his workers, his servants, to a meal at this banqueting hall. And it was, it was lavish. There was uh, exotic food and, you know, you know, those, like on a cruise, you know, those ice carvings and, and uh, exotic food and piles of desserts and just utter delight. And people were running through and piling up their plates and just having a wonderful, wonderful time. And they were kind of ignoring the ordinary food, but that's okay. And... Um, I was, I, was, I was watching this banquet and I was like, whoa, this guy is so generous. This, this is a wonderful banquet. Suddenly I'm in the next scene. I'm at home. And I get a phone call from this evangelist. And he said, um, I wonder if you could help me. I'm looking for two girls who might be willing to help me with a skit to illustrate a sermon that I'm doing this evening. And... Uh, I said, what's your sermon on? He said, oh, I'm so excited. I have this revelation the Lord gave me about Esther's in the New Testament. And I said, "Um, okay, I'm not ordained, but I know that Esther's in the Old Testament. And he said, no, 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 Esther is in the New Testament. No, no, Esther's in the Old Testament. Esther, Job, Psalm. You know, I learned the song in Sunday school. And he says, Esther's in the New Testament. Testament. No, it's not. What, what version are you using? And all of a sudden heard this boom, this loud explosion just really, really rattled me. And so I said, are you still there? And and there was no answer. Oh my goodness. What's happened? So I ran to his house. I got to his house and he's in the kitchen at the table with four people sitting at the table. Now I recognize these all as ministers. And I knew one was a prophetic guy, and one was an apostle guy that I knew. And this guy was talking to me as an evangelist, so I figured, 
okay, are you the pastor and the teacher here? And they, and they, and they laugh. And, and, and then I see a gun lying up against the cupboard. And I said to the event, that was you. You shot off that gun. What are you doing? You scared the wits out of me. And he says, well, I got you to stop arguing and come and talk to me. <laughs> okay. Um, there were some other parts of, of the dream, too, that I'll kind of skip over. But I went into, again, okay. I said, you, you, you need these girls to help you do the skit. And I said, I know of two eight-year-olds who would be willing to do this. And he said, not this time. I need someone more grown up. I need two 10-year-olds. Okay. And then I go back to, okay, about this Esther in the New Testament. He says, Esther is in Ephesians. Okay, I'm not going to argue this time. All right. What, whatever you say. Well, what version are you using? And he said, the transition version. Okay. So then, I'm boom, I'm back in the banquet hall. Only this time, there's hardly anybody left. After this little gun-going-off incident, you know, they seem to be somewhat not pleased. And so most people had left. And the table, all the dessert tables, the fancy tables, the truffles, the pheasant, all that stuff, that was all gone, you know. And I saw plates of good, wholesome food that people had picked up. And it was you know, just kind of tossed in the garbage. And there's just a few people wandering around. But I was really hungry. I was really, really hungry. So I asked one of the people there, where can I, where can I get something to eat? And he said, the food's up there now. And, and, and the serving counter was suddenly up about six or seven feet. And he said, if you want, you're going to have to reach for it. So I'm on my tiptoes, and I'm just kind of like teasing this plate over the edge. And when I get it down, it's just your good, basic Daniel food, you know, no additives, just good fruit, vegetables, a little bit of meat, nice, wholesome food. And then I woke up. Okay, I'm not going to interpret the dream right now. I'll just say, hold on to that. Hold on to that. So, but as I'm going, I'm going, I'm waking up and I say, Esther, 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 what is about this Esther? Now, most of you know the story of Esther. And most of you probably, like me, know the Sunday school version of Esther and the movie version of Esther. And it makes a wonderful movie, you know, because we have this, um, we have this girl that's moved from this obscurity, right? And she wins a beauty contest and she becomes the queen. And um, then we know, well, in the movie version, she wins the queen contest, because she tells really good stories like Scheherazade with cliffhanger endings, you know, so that the king wants to know what's going on. That, that happens in the movie versions, right? And this is how she, she wins the king's favor. And she has an uncle named Mordecai um, who works at the gate. Haman is a man in government who is jealous of him and tries to, he actually builds gallows so that Haman, or so that Mordecai will be hung on them. And he appeals to Esther because she's now in the court. And so she's afraid to go before the king because you can only go with permission. So she calls on people to fast and pray with her. She enters. She, she says, if I perish, I perish. But 
on behalf of her people, because she hasn't told anybody she's Jewish, she enters, and the king holds out his scepter to her, giving her permission. And then she invites him to a banquet. Haman's also invited. Uh, Haman messes up royally and exposes his hand, and things don't go well for Haman. Um, the king sides with uh, Esther because, you know, Haman has, has um, put into place, a, a convinced the king to sign an edict that, that the Jews can be slaughtered. And, uh, but the king gives permission for the Jews to um, defend themselves, right? And Haman ends up being hung on his own gallows, right? You know that story. That's the tidied up version. Okay. Little bit more intense version, if you look at it, is that we have to realize this comes toward the end of the Babylonian captivity. They were <laughs> captured by the Babylonians, but in the meantime, they were the Assyrians, they were the Medes, they were the Persians. They had the, this country is in constant flux, constant war, political mayhem. A lot of people think that the king referred to in the Bible, Ahasuerus, uh, was King Xerxes. Some people say Artaxerxes, but he's after Cyrus. So you realize that uh, some of the people that Cyrus said they could go back, some of the remnant went back, but a lot of the people stayed in this place. And a lot of these people were born there. A lot of these people had lost contact with their roots. They weren't even sure what it meant to be Jewish. Now, Esther may have been not telling people she was Jewish because of racism, or she just may have not thought it was important because the city was full of people who had been basically abducted from other countries and, and brought in. Um, in that time, sexual slavery was normal in that society. When Queen Vashti refused to parade her beauty, whatever that meant, before uh, the guys at the party that the king was hosting, his advisors were extremely upset because they said, this sets a precedent. What if the women in this society, this culture, take her up her example and dare to say no to their husbands for what they are commanded to do? This was a big deal. We have to make a, a, a special case of this and say, no, women, you may not. You do not have an opinion in the society. This is the rules. And that's why they kicked out Vashti. Now, it's just the king actually thought about it later. He kind of regretted it when he sobered up. But, you know, it had happened already. So they said, "Let's here we have a solution. I know you're missing here. We will find a new queen for you, right? We will get all, you know, the beautiful women in the land. But think about it. Esther did not apply for this job. It says the king's men went out and took the beautiful women. Okay? They were abducted. They were, their lives were interrupted. Their lives came to a halt. They were taken against their will. Some of them may have thought this was a good idea. They could be rich. But a lot of them were, they may have had young men they wanted to marry. They may have had plans. But their lives were, they were hijacked. And they were taken to this place. Now, they spent a time in preparation, but the Bible also says that after their interview with the king, they moved from 
the house of virgins to the house of concubines. And if the king was not delighted with them, they were never heard from again. They were basically in a, in a jail for the rest of their lives. They could never marry anybody else. They could never have children. They were locked away. So this pleasing the king was a big thing. So one of the other themes that comes through this is power. This was a power thing. There were power struggles. There were political power struggles. There was, um, you know, there were, there were gender power struggles. There was race power struggles. You know, who's going to have the most influence? In the court, there were power struggles over whose Mordecai wouldn't bow to Haman. That really ticked him off. And that's why he wanted, not, he was so mad at Haman, he also wanted to kill the Jews. No, it was just, it was a huge power mess. And there was, um, in this, there was also a a distrust of leadership and scheming. Uh, One of the reasons Mordecai won favor with the king is because he discovered the plot of two people who were planning to assassinate him. This, you know, this, the spiritual atmosphere in this place was not pleasant. And if, if you've ever seen stories or films about what it is like for women who live, who are property, they are property, who are closed away, it's like, a, it's like a survivor's. Remember survivors on TV? It's like who's going to survive on the island, okay? It was like who's going to survive in the harem? Because, and, and there, were, there were factions and intrigues and it was, it was not a great atmosphere. The other thing, now Jeff, Jeff Priest told this a while ago, um, that Esther came from a, a traumatic background. Uh, Mordecai was actually not her uncle. Uh, her father was Mordecai's uncle, which meant she was her cousin. Okay, So that also meant whatever her background was, you don't get to a place of being raised by your cousin without having gone through a lot of trauma in your life. Um, it doesn't tell us exactly what it was, but we know there was a lot of trauma in her life. There was a lot of trauma in her parents' life. There was trauma in her grandparents' life. She was born into a place where everybody was a little bit warped. You know, you probably didn't have really super well-balanced parents when they are all damaged, okay? And she, so technically, she was raised by her uncle, but technically she was an orphan. Um, one of the other, going through the story, too, um, Mordecai said to Esther when he came to her and said, you may not be aware of what's going on. She was, she was isolated, so she only got bits and pieces from her, her servants. And Mordecai was on the outside, and he could sort of hang out on the outside, and he could send her messages, but, you know, they were pretty isolated. But he did get to her and say, listen, you are in a unique place. Yes, you were abducted. Yes, you were here, but you are loved. You know, the, you are in a unique position. But he said to her, if you decide not to do this, not to stand up, God will raise up somebody else. He's not dependent on you, Okay. God takes volunteers. God is not abducting you. You're in this place. He can use you, but God is not forcing you to do this. This is still your choice. So she chose to do that. And she was scared of the king, and she said, he hasn't called me for a month, 
Well, scriptures also said that the king was conducting interviews again during that period of time. So she didn't know where she stood. She wasn't really feeling very secure. Um, after, after the events when Haman was shown to be the bad guy who was killing all the Jews, the king so loved, said the king, Esther had his favor and he so loved her that he trusted her. He understood the relationship between her and Mordecai now. He gave Mordecai his signet ring, okay? That made him basically the second strongest person in the world. In the known civilized world, Ahasuerus was the most powerful man. And he handed off this signet, this, the sign of his power, and assigned it to Mordecai and said, write whatever regulations you want. You can put my signet ring on it. Esther can sign it too. And you can do in my name whatever you want. That was a huge, huge amount of power. And I don't know if you realize, but one of the things Mordecai did say, yes, people have right to defend themselves, but they did not plunder. They had the right to plunder their enemies. But Mordecai said, no, you're not plundering them. Why? Because Mordecai then became, like Joseph, he became second in command to the king. And, it's, and at the end of Esther, it says, these are the recorded, in this place, the recorded acts of Mordecai are there in the way that he worked for the welfare of the entire country and all of the people and, and especially the Jewish people to protect them. Mordecai ended up with the authority of the king to change the culture. That was a pretty powerful thing. So I'm, I'm reading this story of Esther. The other thing was that Esther... The kings gave her and Mordecai access to his specially trained messengers and horses. Now, in those days, that was essentially the same as giving them the password to the entire military communication system. And he also gave them authority to use whatever they want. Basically, he gave them the codes to the missile launchers. This was... This is not just like, go ahead. You know, this was huge, huge amount of authority and power he trusted Mordecai with because Mordecai had proved himself faithful earlier in a relatively, you know, it's something he could have let go, but he stood up for the king. And now remember, this is a king who had decimated his, his own culture. And, and, and the people were made slaves. They were suffering. He had taken his beloved niece from him. You know, um, so part of it was like, do what you do well. So I was looking, keep that in mind. Okay, story of Esther, you know, you know probably the rest of it. Um, and then I get, okay, what's the connection with Ephesians? So I was reading up in Ephesians and I found an article by Martin Lloyd Webber, or uh, Martin Lloyd Webber, no, that's the, that's the composer, Martin Lloyd Jones. <laughs> Lloyd Weber. Yep. I'll be singing cats in a minute. <laughs> Memory. Um, it was you know, it was Martin Lloyd Jones who 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 whose writings I, I, I really like, and he was pastor of 
Westminster Cathedral in London for a long time. Um, but what he said on Ephesians, he said, Ephesians is divided into three parts. In the first three chapters, Paul reminds them who they are, where they are, and how they got there. So if you go through, especially the first two chapters of Ephesians, it's marvelous. It's just, so I started writing down, my print's small because I have margins in my Bible, but it said, just going through the first few, you are, this is who you are. You are blessed, faithful, chosen, blameless, adopted for his praise, redeemed, forgiven, predestined, heirs, um, heart enlightened, hopeful, rich, alive. Okay. And that's, that's just that far. All of this, all of this is who you are. And it's very important to know. And it also says, and you were raised up to to be seated with Christ. Do you realize who you are? Um, The middle chapters are about if this is who you are, what is it going to look like in your choices, in your behavior, in your relationships? And he, he said it's important that who you are comes before this is what you should be doing. Because behavior doesn't determine your identity. Your identity determines your behavior. If you know that you are a person who carries kindness, you will act kindly because it is now becoming part of your nature. The fruit of the Spirit is who Holy Spirit is. He is love, joy, peace, patience. And as those things grow in you, you become love, joy, peace. Those are your, over time, as you are transformed, those become your natural responses. You don't have to sit and think about it as much like I do. Um, This is accomplished through a radical makeover. When the Holy Spirit enters our lives for the purpose of transition, from the place of being orphans into the place of being sons and daughters of the king. And he does this by lavishing his grace on us. The last part of it is in the last chapter of Ephesians. And it says why you are here. Why, has the, why have you been chosen from this orphan lifestyle into this lifestyle of lavishness and are learning who you are by acting out these things in your relationships. It's not just for enjoying the gifts and kicking around the palace because the last chapter says you are here. You have a purpose because you will face opposition. Um, We're at war. Like it or not, we are in a place where the enemy of our souls does not yet bow the knee to the creator of the universe. And we, in a way, he hates, like, like Haman hated Mordecai so much, he would kill all the Jews. The enemy of our souls hates God so much, he will attack what God loves, and that's you. That's me. So we are, like it or not, but like the king... God provides spiritual weapons. 
He has made provision for us ahead of time. He gives us the authority. He gives us the power. And he says in Galatians 6, when it's talking about the armor of God, you have the right to defend yourself. You do not have to put up with this. The thief has come to lie, kill, and destroy. This is not God. You do not have to put up with this. Okay. So, Ephesians, set that aside. <laughs> so, as I was thinking about this, I'm going, okay, let me, let me try and put this together. Now, I don't know if, if, if I didn't realize for a long time, in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, where it, it talks about prophecy, it says, we see through a glass darkly. That's the version I grew up, because I grew up memorizing the King James Version, all right? In my margin, in my New American Standard Bible I was using at the time, it says, as in a riddle. So I had to go back and look up the Greek. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar at all. Richard studied Greek, and I have friends who are Greek experts, so I phoned them up, and I, you know, I said, so, so what does this mean? Because it actually says in there, as through glass darkly, it uses the word as in an enigma. You see that movie, The, the Enigma Machine? Um, it, during the war, they had a machine that would put things into code. And it took a great deal of effort, and, and the guy who invented computers, basically, to break that code, to understand what it was. But I asked my friend, what is this enigma? And he said, oh, fascinating. He says, that's a word. It is a riddle, but it is something that is worth figuring out. You can figure it out. It's not like... This is a mystery. Nobody will really know we don't have the faculty. He says, no, this is a different way. This is enigma. This is a puzzle. This is like, like God leaving little clues for you. And as you follow the clues, you start to be able to put this stuff together. Now, he speaks to everybody differently. Um, I'm an artsy-fartsy kind, so the, the, the metaphor, the poetry, the visual, uh, that, that all works for me. Uh, other people in my, my, my family are scientists and mathematicians, and they want a right or wrong answer at the bottom of the page. That gives them tremendous satisfaction, you know? And I'm going, that, and that's the way God speaks to them, is through, is, is through uh, mathematical equations. And it works. It's good. But I like the metaphor stuff. He gets, he gets my curiosity. Sorry. Why are you giving me a dream that says Esther is in Ephesians? So I started putting them together. Okay. What is this with the transition version? Well, we were down in the States in a big Bible store, bookstore. And they, I, was, I was laughing. I actually took a picture because they had, they had the nurse's version, the Christian worker's version, the end times version. You know, and, and I was like, what? God wrote <laughs> different... You know, I thought they're, they're all basically the same Bible. But each one of these publications had different verses highlighted, depending, you know, the young mother's version. Well, these had highlighted verses that would be particularly encouraging to young mothers. So I said, so what's with the transition version? And he says, it's the version that has verses that are highlighted for you about transition, about transforming, about the renewal of the mind. And um, in chapter 4, 23 in Ephesians, it says, Be renewed in the spirits of your mind. Put on the new self. Okay, Esther came into the palace as an orphan. This required a radical makeover, and she had um, a, a, a eunuch 
who helped her, took special interest in her, and she had a year of treatments when she was lavished with special oils and perfumes. She was lathered with uh, beautifying agents. It was like a radical makeover. He did this you know, little street kid, probably. You know, she may not have been, but Mordecai wasn't poor. But she took this orphan person and started transforming her into somebody else. And when she decided she could have fought this thing the whole way, you know, kind of like my feeling hijacked by floods and disasters, you know, you can fight it or you can go with it. She knew that if she didn't please the king, she could end up in the back rooms of a harem and never be heard from again. So she decided she was, if she's going to do this thing, and she had no choice, she was going to do it right. Okay? The other thing it says about her is that she maintained good relationships with the staff and with other people. She grew in favor with everyone she was with. It didn't, she didn't grow by stepping on other people, by becoming competitive, by doing the Survivor Island thing. Okay, she, she, she went about this becoming who she was meant to be. She did it in a queenly way before she was a queen. So, and I also said, okay, what's the thing about you don't want two eight-year-olds to help you with your Esther skit. You want two 10-year-olds. And then, boom, it hits me. Ephesians 2, 8, two eight-year-olds, the one we know. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. That's 8 and 9. But if we are a little more mature, just a little more, we go to 10, to 10-year-olds. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 2.8 is essential to understand that it's grace that gets us here, but that we have a part, that we are chosen, we are there for a purpose. Um, so I started mar mar marking down these, these similarities. And if you want the verses, I don't have time to read them all. I've written them down. This is, not, this is extra big print so I can see it. It's not that big. Okay, we'll compare Esther to the bride of Christ in Ephesians. Esther was chosen by the king. We are chosen by the king. Uh, verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Esther was an orphan who found her place. We were orphans. In love, he predestined us for adoption to his set, himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Esther was lavished with the king's riches. When, he was so happy when he married her. You can believe this. When he was so happy when he married her, he declared a tax-free year for the population. Now, they were going to like her too, right? But he lavished gifts on her. It's like this ointments that were lathered on her. And there's one translation of the Bible that talks about grace upon grace upon grace, lathered upon his beloved people. Um, so it, it says, we were lavished with God's, with the grace. It, uh, in him we have redemption through his blood, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. She was privy to inside information being inside the courts. And we, as the bride of Christ, are privy 
to the information about what are God's plans. It says that um, he had a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. That's verse 9. She went from being property to having an inheritance. Hey, she was given Haman's property. Haman was a, a grand high mucky muck. He had a lot, a lot of property. A woman who was property and not allowed to own property, suddenly cha- that culture changed in one day. She was given an inheritance. And we also are given an inheritance. Verse uh, 11 of 1, in him we have an obtained an inheritance. She was raised from obscurity to sit beside the king, and we were raised from death to sit beside the king. This is important verse. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's a seat of importance. The king became Esther's savior and her source of peace. He went to bat for her. He provided for her. And the same thing, the scripture says, 2.14, for he himself is our peace. Esther, now, this is the one that really struck me. Esther could approach the throne safely because she was loved. In 3.11 and 12, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. We can come boldly before. She came in fear. She didn't know if she was loved, if, if this love for her, her favor was strong enough. She came in fear, afraid that she was die. But we can come boldly before the throne and express our needs. Um, Esther had favor because the king loved her. Our king says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, he extends the scepter to us. Esther needed an increased capacity to realize she was loved. And in Paul's prayer in chapter 3, you know the one? I pray that you will understand, you'll be able to comprehend the height, breadth, depth, whatever. She didn't understand how much she was loved. Now, I have to tell you another dream I had just a little while ago. And in this dream, this was just before I found out I had cancer. Uh, All these crazy things happened the same day. But just before I had this dream, and in this dream, I was told, you do not yet comprehend your level of privilege. And I went, okay, you know in the movie, somebody gets a revelation from God, you know, and the choir goes, oh, and they go, oh, you know. And I go, what? I, I don't really have the holiest body language. <laughs> what, what do you mean I don't comprehend the level of privilege? And as I'm going on, he said, you're putting up with this stuff. You're putting up with stuff in your society, in your culture. I'm on Facebook. I had The other day I said, that's it. I'm out of here. I am so sick and tired of the squabbling of the politics. And some of this politics, I'll tell you, this stuff is scaring me. And uh, I'm going like, what do you mean I can't have an opinion? And and I'm saying, no, that's it. I'm out of here. And then the next day, my, my, my nephew's this accident, so I have to go back on. <laughs> so I lasted a whole day. Um, but you do not yet comprehend your level of privilege. Esther did not comprehend her level of privilege that was given to her simply because she was loved. 
when uh, they were allowed to defend themselves, okay, besides given all of these all these weapons and access to the codes and everything else, they were given on the day that the Jews are supposed to be slaughtered, okay, they defended themselves. They came back and the king said to Esther, you want anything else? More? Up to half my kingdom. He offered her more than she had asked for. He offered her more than she had even imagined being able to have. Um, and, and the scriptures say, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Esther was in that time and place for a purpose. And we are also in this time and in this place for a purpose. Um, chapter 3, 9. And to bring light to everyone. What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are saved for a purpose. It's not to this, by the skinnier teeth to get to heaven. It's not to kick around the banquet room enjoying all the razzle-dazzle goodies. It's for a purpose. Now, she was also administered to, the whole time she was there, by servants who equipped her for this. Okay? And she was first equipped with the beauty treatments, and then she was equipped by the generals, by the messengers, by the, by the people who worked now, in the system, worked in the system um, to equip her. And I was going, and then dream, okay, how come I saw these five guys sitting at the kitchen table, like with, with making plans on the table? And, and oh, of course, obvious. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, the five guys, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. It's part of the equipping. And they are... They are not necessarily the center of attention, okay? They are the people who are there to raise up the orphans, the Esthers, the Mordecais, the unlikely, the most unlikely people to come into knowing who they are primarily. Know who you are in Christ. Know what your authority is and know what your job is. So... The three most important questions we can ask, teenagers ask this, we ask ourselves too. They say, who is God? Who am I? And why am I here? Ephesians is broken into three parts. It tells you, who is God? Who are you? How does this play out? Why are you here? The story of Esther is, who is, who is the king? Who are you, Esther, and why are you here? And I began to see the connection that Esther is in Ephesians. Some people said that Esther shouldn't be included in the Bible because it doesn't mention God. But when I saw the parallels, and oh, this, this has God all over it. This is the way God works. Now, if you remember my dream, it was bracketed by the banquet on either end. The first banquet was full of luscious stuff, okay? And the end, there was not that much. And I've learned, um, Graham Cook was very, very good in, in, in this teaching. He calls seasons of hiddenness and seasons of manifestation. 
There are times when God is so real. There are miracles. There are signs and wonders. There's gold dust. There's feathers. There's, you know, one, things that make you wonder. That's the purpose of a wonder is to help you. What? <laughs> um, and there are signs. But signs point to something. And in this particular part of the dream, when the razzle-dazzle wasn't there, most people went home. And the good food was thrown in the garbage because all they wanted was the desserts. But I was hungry in the second part when I was there. And I said, but I'm hungry. And the servant said to me, you're going to have to reach for it this time. You're going to have to stand just above what you can, and you can't see it. You're going to have to stand like this and reach for it and pull it down to get your basic nutrition. Okay? Basic study of the word of God. Basic spending time in the presence of God, learning who he is. What is his character? Does the scripture and his character line up with dreams? If you don't know what the scripture says, you won't know if your dreams line up or not. I know people who will take messages from license plates before they'll take messages from what the scripture actually says. You know, really, I, I knew somebody who said, I saw NRS. I'm supposed to become a nurse. I said, well, what, what does the Bible say about this? You know? Well, I, I don't actually read the Bible. <laughs> Good luck with that. Um, here's, here's the thing. When we ask these three important questions, the king is in love with you. And like, <laughs> the first thing that will be attacked is your identity. So like, when I found out you want to speak, I said, who are you? You're just this, you're not ordained. You're just a woman. You're a grandmother. My grandson calls me a squishy grandma. You're a squishy grandma, and your health is not that good. Even in those, you've had a stand, a stand, stamina to even stand up. And that was attacked. That's one of the first signs. When your identity is attacked, you have to say, Jesus, Jesus, who do you say I am? And shut those voices out who say you who you are not. Those are the lies of the father of lies. So... The king is in love with you, and you need to know that. Before you decide on behaviors or anything, you need to know the king is in love with you. You need to know who you are. How are you known in heaven? Not what you're doing right now. How, what is when, when, when the angel came to Gabriel, he said, Hail, mighty man, right? Because he knew who he was going to be. Who are you known as in heaven? Do you understand your level of privilege? Okay? You need to know that because we are in a war. We are in a war. So I guess as an application, I would say that my challenge to you is get your Bible down off the shelf, get some piece of paper, go through Ephesians, and every time you see something that says who you are, write it down, stay with it, soak in it, repeat it until it starts to sink in like lavished, lathered Ointment, grace upon grace upon grace. This is who you are. And then wait for further instructions. So that's just pray and thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you speak to us in different ways, that each one of your people is in a unique person created by you for a unique purpose. Thank you that we are all in different places. Some of us are in seasons of manifestation, and some of us are in seasons of hiddenness, wondering what's going on. Some of us feel like our lives have been hijacked. 
And we were going this way, and now something entirely different. Some of us feel entirely adequate. How could we possibly have any influence in the world when we're stuck at home with little kids, when we're stuck on the road in a truck, or when we're stuck wherever? But you have a unique purpose. You have called every one of us. You've chosen us, and you love us. You love us. You love us. And we thank you, Jesus. listening to our sermon of the week our desire is that you will be changed by the love of the father and the power of his presence for more information about house of hope visit us at www.ihope.today